Welcome back to the Moms That Lead podcast. We're continuing our focus on the leadership skills that moms often excel at because they have so many opportunities to practice them. Like last week, when we talked about the important lessons that we can learn about team development from our kids. But maybe as you were listening, you were thinking, yeah, that's great advice for normal times. But these are not normal times. With your work teams or teams that you're leading in the community, you may feel frustrated and disconnected and feel like no matter how you lead, they just aren't performing like you need them to. So today is all about how to lead when it seems like those on your team just don't want to follow. But first, let me introduce myself and our community. Are you ready to jump off the hamster wheel and finally listen to that voice inside that says you were meant for more? Are you ready to replace overwhelm with calm and clarity, self-doubt with confidence, and mom guilt with connection? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Moms That Lead podcast, where we know that moms have a unique ability to be world changers and that leadership is not about position. But instead, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you are a leader. I'm Terry Schmidt, your host and leadership mentor, determined to bring you the inspiration, motivation, and practical tips to help you live your best life. I'm a corporate leader and coach turned nonprofit founder. My family's journey to completing an Ironman triathlon changed my life forever, and I want to be your friend on the journey to gain the clarity, confidence, and connection that I gained from that experience. So if you're ready to ditch mom guilt and activate your strengths, let's jump in. Okay, so you're stuck. You're in a frustrating place where it seems like you just can't get those you lead to do what you need them to do. I'm sure you've never felt that way with your kids, right? Yeah, I thought so. I know I've felt that way with my kids many times. So whether you know it or not, you do have some skills that you can put into practice. Yes, I know adults are different, and of course your relationship with them is different. And you probably don't have to lead your kids through Zoom. But many of the techniques you might use, even unconsciously, to motivate your kids can also be used to motivate and lead adults. So let's jump in. Now, you probably know already, but the first place I'm always going to have you start as a leader is with yourself. Do you actually believe you're a leader? Or has imposter syndrome crept in and convinced you that you're not capable of leading, at least not in this situation? If you need some answers and some inspiration to get past that, I encourage you to go back to episode three. But after you've done that, spend a little honest time with yourself asking yourself these questions. What unique strengths do you bring to the position that others couldn't? If you're struggling with this, don't worry, we're going to be doing a lot more work about finding and using your strengths in upcoming episodes. But let me tell you this now. If there is one thing that I am certain of, it is that God created us with unique strengths. I love the way I heard it described on the Leadership Vision podcast. They said that every person has their own beauty and brilliance. Isn't that great? Beauty and brilliance. So yes, leading mom 
you do too. Be honest with yourself. Think about those strengths and name them. If you're struggling, I'd like you to think back to a time where you were successful as a leader. Put yourself back in that situation. What were you doing? How did your leadership come through? What impact did it have? Take some time to jot down some notes, and I think you'll see some themes of strengths coming through. After those strengths come through, that may give you just the confidence boost you need to help move your team's performance in the right direction. But after you're done with those questions, ask yourself one of the most important questions a leader can ask herself. Can people trust you to do what you say you're going to do? Remember, last week we talked about consistency and follow-through. If you're not sure about that answer, you need to address that immediately. Head back to Episode 6 for tips on building trust. Okay, so you've done the self-examination and you feel good about where you are as a leader, but you're still struggling with some team members who are just not performing. They will not follow you in the way that you need them to in order for your team to be successful. What do you do? Well, if you're in corporate America... I can almost guarantee that the first suggestion for you will be that the underperformers on your team need more training. Even if you're leading a group of a nonprofit or in your community, you may be tempted to think, they just don't know how to do what you're asking. Or they just need more knowledge. But as a former leader of teams who analyze data to improve team performance, let me tell you, this is likely not the case. Think about it in your own home. When your kids aren't behaving, or in other words, performing the way you want them to, how many times is it because they don't know how? When your son doesn't make his bed or clean out his lunchbox or for heaven's sake, flush the toilet, is it because he doesn't know how? And no, I'm not referring to my kids at all. But no, of course not. It's not because he doesn't know how. I've heard it said that you should ask yourself, if the person's life depended on it, could they do it? If the answer is yes, then it's not an issue of whether they have the knowledge or skills that they need. And that is really all that training can provide, knowledge and skills. There are many other factors that affect performance. There are many models that explain this, but one of my favorites is one that I learned about in grad school and have used ever since. It was developed by two professors, Wedman and Graham, and it's called the Performance Pyramid. It consists of six blocks that need to be in place in order for an individual to perform. But don't worry, we're not going to go through all six today, but I will hit on what I consider to be the top three themes. I'll link the entire pyramid in the show notes in case you'd like to learn more. Okay, so if training isn't going to get your people to perform, what will? Well, as I said, we're going to go through three ideas. First, the place I would encourage you to start is what Wedman and Graham call expectations and feedback. This is the most common reason for poor performance. Those you're leading don't know what your expectations are, or they don't get feedback about how they're performing to those expectations. Do you think the people that you're leading know the standards that you have set and what successful performance actually looks like? Don't make the mistake that I sometimes make with my kids, thinking that they should just know. 
like my son, should just know that it would be nice if he cleaned up dinner while I drove his sister to swim practice. Gosh, I'm being pretty hard on my son today. But the fact is, I really have no reason to get frustrated when I get home and the dirty pans are still out. If I never asked him to do that, or provided feedback when he did take initiative to help out. You may think, they should just know what I expect. But the fact is, no, they shouldn't. Yes, setting goals together like we talked about last week helps, but that's only a start. It's your responsibility as a leader, when you assign a project, to give specific due dates and measurable standards, and perhaps most importantly, Scheduled check-ins when they can get feedback from you. Not just at that once-a-year performance evaluation time. Now, I'm not talking about micromanaging. But they should know the team's priorities and goals and when they should come to you for decisions or direction. For example, maybe you're heading up a fundraiser for a local nonprofit and you're leading someone who's in charge of getting all the donations for the raffle baskets. Does she know how much needs to be raised? Does she know the tone that all communication from your organization should take? Do you have regular check-ins scheduled to see how she's doing and what support she needs? When people have that guidance and feedback from their leader, it helps them to feel more secure, to align their efforts to the team's priorities, and to apply their unique skills in a way that benefits everyone. But if you feel like you have a pretty good process for expectations and feedback, ask yourself, does that performer's work environment and how things are done set her up for success? Does she have the tools that are needed? At one job I was at, it was as simple as paying for software that would allow us to PDF files instead of using a subpar online tool. Just making that purchase saved many hours of work, which meant that it actually paid for itself pretty quickly. Similarly, there may be processes that are used in your work environment just because it's the way we've always done things. I do think that one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that we've been forced to change some of those processes in order for businesses to survive. But check your team to see if there are any roadblocks to performance that exist because people don't have the right tools to do their jobs or because of inefficient processes. Okay, so we've got expectations and feedback, tools and processes, and we're going to end probably with the biggest one. I'm going to lump a bunch of other factors under a topic that we'll just touch the surface of today, and that is motivation. Remember last week when we talked about believing in the potential of your team and setting goals together? Those are strongly related to motivation. There has been much said about how the millennial generation is motivated by a purpose and not a paycheck. But I'd argue that given all the challenges that we've been through in the last year, we're all looking for purpose. We're all craving meaning. What does that look like at your workplace or in your community? It looks like meaningful work. And that can be as simple as being very clear about how each project is connected to helping the organization overcome the challenges it is going through or to achieve its worthwhile mission. 
When you give a project out to one of your team members, make sure they know exactly how it contributes. Help them to see how they are solving worthwhile problems. In the community, I've been at different nonprofits volunteering, and I've seen those that do this really well. I've seen those that are very clear about, for example, how cleaning a play area can help the children who have disabilities to have a more peaceful and stress-free experience when they are at their facility. And that, in turn, gives them hope and helps them to succeed with their therapy. I've also seen where it's not done, where you're kind of thrown in a room, told to do a task, and you really have no idea how it relates to the organization's mission. Which organization do you think I'm more eager to go back to? Of course it's the one where I feel like I'm doing meaningful work. It's the same way in the workplace. So make sure, even if it's a simple task, your team members know how that's contributing to the overall mission. Now, on the flip side, one thing we want to make sure is that good work isn't disincentivized. What do I mean by that? Well, let me tell you a story. Early in my career, I actually had a part-time job as a bank teller or a customer service representative. And we were told to open new accounts. That was good business for the bank. More new accounts meant more money for the bank. But we were also told to keep the lines in front of us short. And opening a new account actually took quite a few more steps than cashing someone's check, which meant it took more time, and which meant the line would always build up whenever we had to open a new account. So do you think I was motivated to ask someone if they wanted to open a different kind of account? No. I was disincentivized to do that performance, which was desired, but didn't do anything good for me. Another way you might have seen this play out is in the community. Maybe you have that one volunteer who does really good work. And guess what she gets? More work. That happens in workplaces, too. And it's really important that we find a way not to disincentivize good work. Now I get it. Human beings are complex and will never be able to control everyone's performance. Nor would I want to. We're not robots. But hopefully this will give you some practical strategies for helping those you lead to follow you to fulfillment and to success. Until next time, lead with love.